0: Than to think about the substitutionary death of Christ and His cleansing blood, uh, from a you know from a spiritual standpoint, we have His history. We from a spiritual standpoint, we have His DNA spiritually. The Bible says that in salvation, when we believe, not only does the blood of Christ cleanse us, but we get His history, uh, just as. The bone marrow is imputed from one human to another. The Bible says that when you were saved, Christ's righteousness, Christ's history was imputed to you. But even to me, as incredible as that is, the Bible says the reverse of it is true. My sin, my disobedience, my wickedness was imputed to Him and He died for it on a cross. Amen? So when we come to observe the elements of the Lord's Supper, it's very profound what we're doing. You'll notice in your bulletin, the passage that we want to read today is in in Luke chapter 22. This is Luke's uh, Luke's account of the events of the Lord's Supper. Luke chapter 22, and I'll, I'll read it now. Luke chapter 22. And beginning at verse uh, fourteen, and you can read all three synoptics—Matthew, Mark, and Luke—and and, and uh, each of them have uh, different features about about the events of the Lord's Supper. Um, but they're relatively the same. They're s- s- synonyms to one another. Obviously, why we call it the Synoptic Gospels. Also, remind you just from a theological standpoint, the first, the first writing with authority that described the Lord's Supper. What I'm saying is the the book that was written that the New Testament church would read an account of the ordinance, where they could follow what the Bible said about the Lord's Supper was not. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it was 1 Corinthians. That's an earlier book than the Gospels. Uh, they were written a little bit later. But anyway, so this is Luke's account. I'm beginning at, I'm in uh, Luke, 4, uh, Luke 22, beginning at verse 14, and your Bible probably says what my Bible says, the Institution of the Lord's Supper. And when the, hour had, when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired Until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them saying. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten. saying this cup that is poured out for you. Is the new covenant in my blood. Let me read that again. And likewise the cup. After they had eaten, He said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in My blood. But behold, the hand of Him who betrays Me is with Me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom He is betrayed." And then the Bible says, and they began to question one another. Which of them could it be who was going to do this or who was going to betray him? Matthew says the same thing, that they started saying uh, among one another and to Jesus, is it me, Lord? And when Jesus said that, somebody's going to betray me, what's interesting is they all knew within their own hearts they had the capabilities of being a denier. Folks, we all have the capabilities of being a denier. Amen? Amen. At any moment of any time we, we can all deny the Lord Jesus Christ and what we say and, and how we live. Now if you don't mind, I want you to take your Bibles and go to uh Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. And I just want to read to you a little bit. This is where Isn't it great to do the ordinances together? I was telling the folks up in up in the Baptistry that I love when we're able to do both ordinances together. It's just profound to think about Baptism and then coming back and doing the Lord's Supper uh, it's so it's just so personal but anyway I, in Hebrews chapter seven the book of Hebrews a lot of what Hebrews does is it tells us how much greater Jesus is than everything else especially in the Old Testament of particular interest in Hebrews beginning around Hebrews six and seven is Hebrews seven specifically talks about how Jesus is greater than the priesthood and the Old Testament priesthood in the the Old Testament sacrificial system. That what was done in the Old Testament, there's something that had to supersede that. And of course, now it's not about the blood of bulls and goats, or heifers, or doves, or sacrifice of animals. It, it's the blood of Christ. And so that's what the writer of, of Hebrews is talking about. Um, if your Bibles are open there to... Um, Hebrews chapter 7. I hate to to ask this. I didn't bring my phone with me. Somebody call out the time for me. Huh? 11.08. 1108. I got an hour. Good. So, anyway. You're going to eat lunch here anyway, right? You don't have to fight the crowd. So, he mentions this this priest, if you study the Old Testament, this priest, this Melchizedek, that that literally came out... There was no genealogy about him. He he wasn't in some kind of bloodline. He just shows up. And the the writer of Hebrews, whomever that may be, is talking about how Christ is, is in the order of a Melchizedek in the sense that Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. And the priest, a priest, had to come from who? The line of who? Levi, right? Levi, we call them the Levites and priests. Or we call the, the Aaronic, Aaron was the first high priest. And so Aaronic priesthood, Levitical or Aaronic, they followed Aaron. Because God gave Aaron and his sons the responsibility to administrate the priesthood. Okay? And, there's be, and so you had to be from the tribe of Levi, which, of course, Moses and Aaron were, his brothers. They were from, they were, they were from, they were Levites. They were from Levitical priesthood. So Christ is going to supersede the Levitical priesthood. And the writer just mentions that he's in the order of Melchizedek. So, so Jesus just, in, in the sense of being the priest, he's our great high priest, he just shows up. God sends his son. He's, he's not a Levite, he's from the tribe of Judah. So he argues this point, but I want to pick up at verse eleven, okay? And this is all just incredible information. By the way, uh, this isn't the only reason, but why? Why? I mean, there's twelve sons of Jacob, twelve sons of Israel. Um, why Levi? I'm sorry, I'm keep wiping my face, but the baptismal waters, y'all know this, are always hot. And it takes me three days to cool off after I've been up. Anyway, so uh, why? I mean, if there's 12 sons of Israel, 12 tribes, why? One of you may be able to answer this. And this is not something we all know right off the cuff. It's not like this is something everybody knows. Why Levi? Why did God ordain that through the tribe of Levi that... The priest, and I think the priest represented the, the Israelites. Every Israelite was represented to God by the priest. I mean, he would make an atonement for his sin. Then he would go make an atonement on the Day of Atonement for their sin, right? Very important role. So, But why the Levites? And, and it happens to be that you remember this. Remember when Moses, Moses came down off the mountain. He was holding the tablets. And I don't know how big they were, but we know he was holding the tablets. There were two of them. And what did he see when he got down off the mountain? What were the children of Israel doing? That's right. They, they, they were having a party. And that's not a good word, the word party there. And Moses dropped the commandments and broke them. Of course, he's going to have to rewrite them later. And then he makes a statement. This is uh, in, I think it's in, it's in Exodus uh I think I wrote it down. I know it's in Exodus uh, 32. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, Who is on the Lord's side? So all the Jews are just parting around the golden calf, right? They're having a high time. And, and a lot of us immorality because they're doing what the Egyptians would do at their false gods. So he drops the tablets. Then he stands at the gate of the tabernacle. And he says, Who is on the Lord's side? Of the city, he of the group of people, he says, "Who is on the Lord's side?" And the Bible says that all the tribe of Levi came and stood with Moses. Moses takes it a step further. He says, "You're going to have to render judgment." And so they took some swords and they started executing those that were disobedient. You can read it for yourself. Three thousand people were killed. They were killing their, you know, their kin, the, the Israelites. But it was judgment. But that's one reason why, and it says in the text in Exodus thirty-two, "This is why I have chosen you to be my priesthood, is because you took a stand when the when the, when the Israelites disobeyed." You got to think how soon that was after they left the Egyptian bondage. So that's kind of the context. But Christ is greater. I'm picking up at verse eleven. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood. For under it the people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise from the order of Melchizedek? So if the priesthood and the law worked, why would there need to be another? If you and I could obey the law perfectly, right? Why would there need to be another sacrifice? If the Old Testament priesthood, if somebody, a sinner, if, if, a, if, it, was, if it was judicial in God's judicial economy that a sinner could make a sacrifice for his own sin, then turn around and go make a sacrifice for everybody else's sin, if that worked, there was no need for another priest. But there is a need for another priest. Because guess what happened? Whether whether it was the priest, the high priest or the children of Israel, do you know what they would do after, and what you and I do after church? What did they do after they made the sacrifice? They would still sin. And God's going to change that through Christ in conversion. But we'll keep reading. Uh, Look at verse 15. It says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, See what he's saying? It's not based on who he's, who he's related to, but by the power of an indestructible life. Christ came as the Son of God who is an eternal, is eternal. He's the eternal Son of God. He came and as one who had an indestructible life, he gives life everlasting. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of, of Melchizedek. Now that's what God said to Jesus about His role as the high priest. I want to drop down to verse uh, 23 and, and I'm going to read several verses now. It says, Now the former, uh, former priests were many a number because they were prevented by death from continuing in the office. I mean, every priest, every high priest would eventually get old and die. So just by whether you're talking about the high priest or the priesthood, they kept dying, okay? So, so there's hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of priests and hundreds and hundreds of high priests in the history of Israel. But he holds, we're talking about Christ, but he, notice the personal pronoun, it'd be interesting to do a little study. I mean, I did it. I'm not going to go through all of them how many personal pronouns are used in the next 7 or 8 verses because we're not now we're talking about Christ it's about Christ it says but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever now immediately what you need to remember and think about not only celebrating the ordinance of the Lord's supper is where Christ is right now he's an eternal priest and we know that He sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is a whole other story why it's the right, because everybody on the right hand represents the acquittal. So everybody related to Christ has been acquitted of their sin. Interesting picture there. But, so he, he sat down. He's an eternal priest. But guess who He's representing? That's right, us. So folks, when we come to this table... We're remembering the broken body and the shed blood. That literal Christ, not the human blood's there, but that literal Christ has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. It's an eternal priesthood. And He represents me. So, by the way, when the accuser comes and tells you you're a joke and your salvation is a farce, are you going to trust in you or are you going to trust in Christ? I'm going to trust in Christ. See, He's my guarantee of salvation. Not me. Because the devil gives me... He attacks me just like he does you and tells me I'm an idiot and all these other things. I'm a moron. I'm a stupid for being a preacher. You're not going to listen to me. Nobody cares. All those things that you go through too. But I don't rest in what I've done. I rest in what Christ has accomplished. This eternal priesthood. It says, because He continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save... I love this verse. Look at your Bibles. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Save to the uttermost. That means there's nothing greater that He could have done to save you. He, he, he relinquished the guilt of your sin. You're not going to answer for your sins. You're going to answer for your acts of obedience... There's nothing greater. He saved you to the uttermost. And then it says, He always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests but the word of God or the word of the oath which came later after the law appoints a son who's been so it's it's about it's not about a human representative we're not looking It's about the Son of God in salvation. Folks, that's why we come and celebrate this table. Let me just read chapter 8, a couple of verses. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven, a minister in the holy place, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. So he's saying that, that Christ is seated at the right hand in a holy temple, but it's not a it's not a tabernacle or a temple built on earth, but it's the it's the one in heaven. Now let me show you one other thing with your Bibles open. Uh, not only does He do all that, I had to turn the page in my Bible, so flip your page if you need to. Verse ten it says, "For this uh, chapter eight, verse ten. For this is the covenant." of that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. So God's going to make a new covenant with Israel. By the way, this is why Romans 1 says that, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God unto salvation. Think about it. Paul says, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God, God saves through the gospel. But then Romans 1.16, for the Jew first, and then for the Greek. So the message of salvation, who were the first group of people to be born again? Jews, right? So he's mentioned the Jews, okay? But he says, look what he says in verse, he says, after those days, he says, this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord. And this is what happened to each of us, okay? Look what it says. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, just the contrast. Moses had the law on tablets of stone. That's the law. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is when we believe God writes His Word and His will on our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to remember the broken body and the shed blood. I'm going to pray and as I'm praying, I'm going to ask my my servers to come help me serve. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the table. We do need this table of remembrance because pathetically we forget the great cost to the Son of God to save us from our sins. Father, as we distribute... The bread and the cup. I pray the reality of the life of Christ lived for us, the death of Christ dying for us, would be applied to all of our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to serve the bread, then we'll serve the cup, then we'll do the elements together. Okay, one of these go that way. There you go. Is that it? Remember, it's unleavened bread. You know why it's unleavened bread because leaven was a picture of sin. It was first instituted. You know, at the Passover they didn't have leaven, so we deal with unleavened bread because leaven was sin. This is unleavened bread because Christ was sinless, and that He knew that the disciples knew what He meant when He held up that piece of bread and said, "This is My body." That bread was unleavened. It was. He was saying, "I'm sinless." That's one of the things. A whole life lived on the earth sinless. This is my body, which is broken for you. We believe in the incarnation, the literal man, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, sir, thank you guys. Thank you for helping out. It's good stuff. I'll serve you when we get back from the cups. Okay. Thank you guys. Hey Moses, Moses, can we sing Oh the Blood of Jesus a cappella while we're just passing the cup? Y'all know it. We know it by heart. Oh the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Oh the blood. of Jesus. It is about his blood. doing it backwards but that's okay (laughs) sorry whoops
1: That, let me okay. thank, you. Y'all can go be
0: thank you so much so stand with me, please. let's stand together after we finish uh there's a hymn we're going to sing kind of us at are benediction uh near the cross you you'll want to sing it with us It's wonderful well hey this this is what it says in hebrews nine it says uh it says, now He appeared in the presence of God on our behalf. And it says, as He has appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Isn't that awesome? Folks, it's about His body which is broken for us. Then He took the third cup what we believe. And if you do the Passover with the Jews for Jesus, they, they believe this. He, there's four cups. He took the third because there's a fourth one that's at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that great? He's going to drink another one with us. But every saint that's ever been saved by the blood of Christ is going to do it together. But, but the third cup, he's, he, it's blood. he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Our benediction is near the cross. Moses will lead us again. This will serve as our benediction. God bless. Thank you for being here. Jesus,
1: keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain, free to all a healing. Flows from Calvary's mountain In the cross, in the cross Be my glory ever Till my raptured soul shall find Rest beyond the river Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find Rest beyond the river Near the cross, O Lamb of God The scenes before me Help me walk from day to day With its shadows o'er me In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross I'll watch and wait, helping, trusting ever. Till I reach the golden strand Just beyond the river In the cross, in the cross Be my glory ever Till my raptured soul shall find Rest beyond the river